As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day, just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome back. I'm Stephen Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer, and this is your next episode of 1% Better. Uh, we have seen a lot in the last few months regarding the Indianapolis Colts, and we are now basically at the end of the offseason. Uh, they are done, and they are gone to their respective corners of the world, the players and coaches, you know, for the next, I don't know, month or so. And then... Things get started for real. And it's incredible, Zach, that we're here. <laughs> just just in terms of how much has happened and and just how much this has flown by. It's it's been slow, but it's also been like painfully well, it's been painfully slow in one respect. And also it's been a blur, <laughs> you know, the last yeah. like almost six months. And so that's where I want to start on this episode. Just like what an insane off season! <laughs> Let's just put it out there. Like, I, what happened? This has been six months of just insanity. Am I exaggerating, or just I, I just think this has? I've, I've I've not seen a team go from, or rarely seen a team go from where their perception was at the end of last season on that dreadful, uh, just humid. January afternoon in Jacksonville to where they are now and the way they're talked about now, it's just unbelievable. I, I don't even know what to make of it. Is this is that how you see it or am I off? You've covered this team for a long time. I've covered this team for a long time. And you cover the Colts long enough, you get used to the unpredictable and the wild turn of events, right? We don't need to run down the line, but we have covered some stories and some crazy things in our time covering this team. And so this was pretty normal for us, how crazy this offseason was. And I go back to, we were just talking about this, you know, in early January, I had this this playoff story I was writing about what this team was going to possibly do in the playoffs. They were hot in late December. Jonathan Taylor was going to be the league rushing champ. And then on a sunny afternoon in Jacksonville, when there were clowns in the stands, that story went to die with the Colts season with it. I forgot about the clowns. Oh, my God. Like, that was real, man. That was this year. That was 2022. And oh they got their God. ass kicked that day, and they were terrible. And and I didn't think until that day that Carson Wentz might be in jeopardy of not returning for a second season. It never crossed my mind, mostly because of what happened in that Arizona game and, and that they had played pretty well. But during that game was the first time it crossed my mind, and I reached out to some people, and I got – a very quick response that said, nothing is for sure. And that was sort of the motto of the next five months, right? So we don't need to go back to what happened in Jacksonville, but to think about that night, we were at a sports bar somewhere outside of Jacksonville. I couldn't even tell you the name. We both got the double house. bourbons. Yeah, the yeah there you go. Yeah. We, well we didn't get bourbons. We got double bourbons because <laughs> we needed them. And and we had no idea it was about to come the next five months. I don't think the fans out there knew what was going to come. It was a long, long off season, And there were some days when my wife would ask, it feels like you're working more right now than you do during the season. Like that's how crazy it was <laughs> in early March. But when you look at the body of work, it's it's remarkable to think about where they are right now with some optimism, some – I think it's 
real optimism compared mm-hmm. to where they were on January 9th. And, and they upgraded a quarterback. They added a draft pick. Um, they upgraded a pass rush with Ngakwe. They upgraded a corner with Stefan Gilmore. And they had a pretty good draft so far. Now, you know, let's let's see how it goes. But Alec Pierce changes things, and I think he's going to play right away. So a wild offseason, very normal for the Colts. But um, I think some of the concerns that people had last year about the quarterback position were real. And I think they have vanished a little bit this year because of everything we've seen from Matt Ryan the last couple of months. But what a wild offseason. And par for the course around here, right? Yeah, what else is new, right? Uh, so I would say this. They, uh, you know, th- there are people talking about this team in a fashion that, you know, is wasn't really something we could have imagined just a few months ago. And everything said now this time of year, everything or a lot of the things I should say said around this time of year, they end up being those sort of famous last words statements, right? You know, the things that we said about the 2015 Colts, for example, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, fair. None of that mattered when it was all said and done because it was all wrong. So that being said, all that's possible, right? But that being said, there is like so much optimism around this team. And the flip, the script has definitely been flipped. There's no question about that. That was a tongue twister. And I just think that. You know, we'll see, but I just think there's a lot of reason for optimism. And so let's get to those reasons. And I think it's what we see on the field and what they have on paper. It is on paper right now. But they were on the field plenty the last few weeks and engaging in some real practices in the offseason for the first time since 2019. 2020 was the height of COVID. Last year in 2021, the Colts really pulled back on offseason workouts and really didn't do much. And this year they was the first year. They it didn't do anything. It was kind of a joke. It was kind of a joke. And so this was the first year since 2019, the offseason of 2019, that they did, did anything really substantive on the field in the offseason. And I'll give you the caveat here. First off, and, and Frank Reich was very specific in saying this, this was mostly a passing camp, right? They That's what they work on. Uh, in these OTAs because you can't hit, you can't really do press coverage. You can't do a lot of things that that you want to do from a physical standpoint. But what you can do is throw the football, right? You can work on your timing and all that. And look, I know we have said it over and over and over on this podcast in recent weeks. But damn it, the passing game looks pretty good. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I, I I understand where some of the shortcomings could wind up being, and we can talk about those. But what were your biggest takeaways, Zach, from what we saw from Matt Ryan, the wide receivers, the tight ends, just all of it sort of coming together in just that first glance that we have seen in recent weeks? What are your takeaways? Yeah, the, the passing game is going to look like what Frank Reich wants it to look like. And it's going to come out quicker. And Matt Ryan's going to be a lot more efficient in the middle of the field. And, and you've said this all along, and, and this is probably a good way to put it. You know, Carson Wentz made things a little bit more difficult on the field than they needed to be. He held on to the football a little bit long. He liked the deep shots on the sideline. Um, there wasn't a lot of yards after the catch last year. That's a big part of it. Those crossers that Frank Reich loves in the middle of the field, we didn't see a lot of that. And and the inconsistent production from the tight ends in the pass game really hurt them down the stretch as well. By the end, I mean, who were they throwing the football to? They were throwing it to Pittman. And then as the passing game crumbled, there was really – no consistent receiver. I mean, T.Y. would step up sometimes, but there was no backbone of the receiving game. And I think a lot of that goes back to the quarterback and the decisions. And I feel like we saw that shift this offseason. I feel like the ball was just getting out faster. They were utilizing the middle of the field a lot more. And you're seeing guys like Naheem Hines catch 30-yard touchdowns like he did two years ago with Phillip Rivers. So, yeah, so this is not to beat a dead horse. We've seen, We've talked about this before, but this is just what we've seen the last several weeks on the field. And I think Matt Ryan is going to be a seamless addition to this offense that lets the offense look how Frank Reich wants it to look and that the quarterback does not have to be the superstar, does not have to make the highlight plays. I think there's going to be a lot of games where the highlights come from Taylor and from Pittman and from Hines, and you don't even see Matt Ryan on the highlights. He'll go for 250 yards and maybe two touchdowns, but that's going to be the well-balanced offense that they want. My question to you is, Part of the optimism around this team is is Tennessee maybe taking a step back. You know, it's hard to think that team is better 
with the loss of A.J. Brown. Vrabel's still really good, but I wonder how this Colts team is going to stack up against these young gun quarterbacks in the AFC that are going to rule this conference for a decade. I'm talking Josh Allen. I'm talking Patrick Mahomes. And then the AFC West, in addition to Mahomes, is, you know, they got Carr. That's who the Colts play this year. They got Herbert. They got Carr. They've got Russell Wilson on a Thursday nighter. How can the Colts stack up against those teams? And can they hold their own with Matt Ryan, who's 37? Yeah, so I, I think the approach, particularly against those teams with the, the most elite quarterbacks, the approach has to be not that the Colts go toe to toe at a, from a quarterback perspective. Although I do think you know Matt Ryan will hold his own, but I mean, are you really trying to get into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes ever? Right? I mean, that's that's not a blueprint, okay, under any circumstance. However. I think the the approach for the Colts needs to be this. They need to be the more complete team every Sunday. They need to be the team that top to bottom proves they have the better roster. Now, they may not have the better quarterback. And oftentimes in this league, the team with the better quarterback wins. However, I think they have proven, hell, they proved last year at times that you can win other ways. Now, I don't think they have to play around the quarterback or in spite of the quarterback as they did at times last year. The quarterback's going to be part of the equation, a big, much bigger part of the equation this time. But I do think when you look at it top to bottom, this is a pretty good roster. And I think it stacks up against all of those other rosters when you look at it from that perspective. Now, when you look at it from the standpoint of quarterback versus quarterback, well, no, I'm not going to take Matt Ryan over Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or any of those quarterbacks in that category. I mean, because why? Why would I? But I do think, again, top to bottom, you know, the, the backfield, I think the offensive line has been stabilized. I think the the wide receivers are the big question, but they have a lot of potential. It's still a big question, and that is going to be a question until it's not, right? But I think yeah. defensively, I mean, I love the defense on paper. We'll see what it looks like. I just think top to bottom, this team stacks up against any team in the AFC. That doesn't mean they're the best team in the AFC. It doesn't even mean they're one of the best. I think they can be. They got to prove that. But I just think from a personnel standpoint, again, while they aren't in the upper elite class at quarterback, they are in the elite class, I think, when it comes to the totality of the roster. And I just think that's something that we we tend to just glance over or overlook too much, right? I mean, I could give you the top five teams in the AFC in whatever order you want to put them in. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But if you went through those top five teams, I could give you weaknesses for all of them. And I could give you a scenario where where things don't work out for them because of this weakness or that weakness or that weakness, right? So it's what I always say. Like, there are no perfect teams. The Colts certainly have proven that over the years. But look, I mean, if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about, you know, sort of this same scenario we're talking about, while the Bengals had a very good quarterback last year in Joe Burrow, and and we know he got a lot of the credit for the the run that they went on. Uh, let's be honest, like that was not a complete team. Okay, they had no. some weaknesses last year. They had some very obvious weaknesses. Some of the worst pass protection I've ever seen from a, a team in the Super Bowl. Okay, like that team got to the Super Bowl. With that offensive line, you know, and then I think defensively they rushed the passer well, uh, but they had some they had some other areas they need to work on. And so, look, I, I just think that while that's it's true for I think just about everybody in the NFL. I mean, who are the teams out there that you just feel one through fifty three? Okay, that team is rock solid. Like there's just that just doesn't happen. So I guess what I'm saying is to, it's a very very long way of answering your question. You know, can they overcome you know, those 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 gunslingers in the AFC? That's the way. That's the method for them. That is yeah. their path. They have to do it with the whole roster. And fortunately for them, their their team might be equipped to do that. What do you think that's possible? I think it is in spurts, but I, I will counter your point and I'll say this. It's a quarterback league, and maybe the quarterbacks get more credit than they deserve and, and more focus in the media and all that, but like you just said, a, a fairly flawed Bengals team made it to the Super Bowl. And and you covered that game in Tennessee. And and then a week yeah. later, they played the Chiefs. I mean, they they weren't perfect. They weren't great in those games. But the, the one guy was when it needed to be. Do the Colts have that at quarterback? I'm not ready to say they do. 
you can have bad games and win them at the end. The Chiefs have been doing it for years because of the singular talents of your quarterback. Colts fans know this very well in 2013-14 area. I don't know if Ryan is doing that consistently, and that's what the Colts will have to overcome if that's the right word you want to use. You make a good point that the body will win. The, the body of this roster will win some games. And they have some really talented players. Like they went down and beat the crap out of Buffalo last season because Jonathan Taylor was by far the best player on the field. So that's a good blueprint on paper and it will win you a lot of games. But there's going to be a couple that come down to the end. And is, is Matt Ryan able to win those games for the Colts? He's had a great spring. We'll see. I don't know if we can answer that. Now the Rat Ryan from 2016 and 2017 absolutely could. And there's a lot of signs that he can do that. But I guarantee you this will be a topic of discussion down the line this season. And that's why this is so fun because we don't know. But he's going to have a lot of pieces around him. He's going to have a lot of things set up for his success. But can he hang with these young quarterbacks who can play up and down for three quarters and then just absolutely light it up and tear your heart out at the end? That's going to be one of the funner parts to watch this season. So great point. I, I agree with that. I, I don't think no, I don't think that that Matt Ryan is is a guy who's going to maybe, you know, sort of single handedly take over a game. I don't think he's well, let me rephrase that. I, I don't know if he's if he's still got that. I, I don't know. I, I don't think we can know, right? Just because he wasn't uh, with a team that would empower him to do that necessarily uh, the last few years with the, the pass protection and everything else he had to deal with. However, I do think that the supporting cast he has here does give him a better opportunity to be more of a factor. And then he's got Frank Reich, who I think is a huge variable here. I think mm-hmm. two of them together, I think, can produce better results than than Ryan would have in in Atlanta for sure. There's no question about that. It can um, look better than it did with Rivers. It can. I, I believe yeah. that too. If, in 2020. Yeah, I think so. And and if you think about it, look, uh, that team in 2020, it it wasn't as good as this team in terms of personnel, at least on paper. This is a better team on paper. But yeah, that team offensively, I think it did enough uh, to to win in oh, the yeah. playoffs. They didn't get it done, but they did enough that they they could have won. This team will, I think, be more productive, potentially be more productive offensively. So they have the ability to go further than that team. There's no question in my mind. I think this defense is better as well. Uh, I think this team also has today's Jonathan Taylor versus that version of Jonathan Taylor who who for eight games apparently forgot how to read blocks. And so <laughs> that was the weirdest <laughs> that thing like ever. 20 years ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, I mean, but that guy got benched mid-season that year. That's amazing. And but then anyway, in week, eight, week 17, he had like 250 rushing yards. So does nothing makes sense sometimes. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting off the subject. But I, I, I think – I think these are great questions, and, and that's that's really going to be, I think, the story of this season, or one of the biggest, at least, for the Colts, is, you know, what is Matt Ryan, and what effect can he have? How much of an effect can he have? Because I think one of the things they've been missing, and even with, with Phillip Rivers they were missing this, is when there is a game when maybe you don't get the production from your defense, or maybe Jonathan Taylor's not having a great day, uh, maybe... You know, some parts of your team aren't really functioning at a high level because that happens, right? I mean, it happened in in Jacksonville. What you need is you need somebody to say, "Give me the ball," and and B, you know, the he's got to be Steph Curry or something. You know, to use the you know to, yeah. the, the timely or, or, metaphor or with the the final going fucking on. Fucking right? set. That's what they need, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. I'm not letting that one go. I love it. I mean, I love it. That that's. That is Peyton. That is Peyton Manning. No question about it. But that, that's what you need. Like, can he be that? I, I don't know. And I think sometimes you do need that in the NFL. The, I mean, you get you gave two great examples. I think we saw it with the we saw it with the Bengals in the playoffs. We saw it with the Chiefs in that game against the Bills. Now, hopefully, the, the Colts never play defense on the level that we saw in that game, <laughs> okay? right? Because there was no defense. But I, but I agree. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, right? Can Matt does Matt Ryan have that in him? And I think if he has a little bit of that in him, that's the game changer. Because then now you're talking about potentially elite results. I'm not saying Super Bowl. I'm saying doing something really impressive, whatever that is. And I think so we'll another say- thing is like 
there was a subtle beauty to the way Rivers ran the offense in like the back hack of back hack of back half of, of 2020. Like yeah. broken foot, couldn't move, and like they were a pretty formidable offense in the second half of the season. Taylor came on, that helped. Pittman came back and that helped. And you saw what he could do. And TY made plays and, and Jack and Moali Cox. But like Rivers did not beat them. Rivers did not light it up in the box score, but he did not beat them. They did not have to coach around him. Now, they had to do that last year. We've talked about that a lot. The Patriots game is a perfect example. The Colts had to coach around their quarterback to barely win that game. And Taylor had to take that monster run with the loaded box just to win because they only had 50 passing yards and the Colts did, the Colts didn't trust their quarterback to throw the football. So I think you're going to see more of that 2020 version where Ryan's not lining it up, but he's also he's also setting everybody else up the way Rivers did. And, and like you said, the, the talent has improved. Taylor is a top five player in the league. Pittman is a monster on the end. Um, I got questions at tight end, but they've got two young guys. The line needs to be better. We don't need, I'm not going to overlook what happened against Las Vegas and Jacksonville. The line was beat up. They yeah. were owned at the end of the season. Kelly Nelson starts with those guys. Um, and we, and then we have questions at left tackle for sure. And there, we're not going to get an answer until August, September in that regard. But, um, you're going to see more use of Naheem Hines and Naheem, th- this list last week, you know, was, was pretty, let's just say obvious in an, an- in interview with, uh, with our buddy Nate. Atkins at the Indianapolis Star, like <laughs> Naheem was like, well, um, Matt makes the layups and uh, you need the <laughs> quarterback to that go. Before? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Naheem, we get it. We get what you're saying. So if you haven't seen that, read those quotes and tell me what you think, because yeah. I think that's pretty obvious. And I think I think you're going to see a team not have to coach around the quarterback. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like in camp. But like you said, it looks different already. It just does. And I think the fans that were not able to see mini camp, obviously, that come out to Westfield in August, you're going to see, you're going to see it. It's going to be totally different than what it looked like last year. Yeah. And when I say it looks different, I mean, the ball just doesn't hit the ground, man. I mean, the ball's on point. And and I get that the coverage will be more physical in training camp. The uh, there, there will be a pass rush, certainly not hitting the quarterback in, in training camp, but still there, there's going to be more activity around the quarterback. All, all of those things are going to be different. Look, seven on seven can really be deceiving. I I totally admit that. Yeah, it's set up for the quarterback and the offense. But they it looked the way it should have looked, which is like off the charts. That's the way it's supposed to look. I mean, when when Peyton Manning ran seven on seven, what did it look like? It looked like a masterpiece, right? <laughs> and that's how it should look when if you've got a good offense. And that's what this looked like. I'm not funny story he's Peyton about Manning, that. Just Right. Just yeah. as a quick aside, this is a great Meg Chapel story, but but one day in practice, the ball hit the ground and Marvin Harrison ran back to the huddle and said, 155. And everyone said, what? What does that mean? He goes, that was our first incompletion in 155 snaps. <laughs> I love it. It's effing wild. No, no, we're not going to see that. By, by the way, field. you can never get enough of those stories. So like, right. by all means, interrupt. Just, just, I hope they appreciate it at the time because that is, that is just, that is absurd. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I think that uh, that that's going to be the question. You know, how much of what we're seeing now carries over, and and how much of it is just a product or a function of, well, it's June and seven on seven and whatever. So you know, we'll see. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now there are we've hit on the court on the, excuse me the wide receivers a lot so I won't I won't necessarily uh, drill down on this too much but uh, did, did you see what well let's put it this way with what we saw from the wide receivers 
how do you feel about that spot? We certainly have questions, but do you feel better or worse, the same? What did OTAs tell you? What can I say now that's not going to make me look like an idiot in September? <laughs> Nothing. Hmm, let me think. I'll tell you <laughs> this. I'll tell you this. And I know Frank well, Frank Reich well enough, and, and you do as well. Frank Reich feels better about this group right yeah, now. I, I think, I think gun to does. his head, I think he's good rolling with this group into, into training camp. Now, that could be risky, and I've said all along I think it is a risk because they haven't done it. Um, I agree. But they have the makings uh, of a group that could do some stuff. Pittman looks fantastic. And him and Ryan have a thing already. You can just tell. They, you can just tell Michael Pittman is getting better. And last year during training camp, you know, we would talk about this after practice. Like, who's the best two players in the field? Every single day, it was Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. You could tell. Mm-hmm. We'll get a vibe from him in training camp. If he takes another step, that helps the entire group. As an aside, it's, it's really fun to watch Reggie Wayne coach. Like, he's just himself. Mm-hmm. And he's really on the details with these guys. And I think he's going to be – you know, one of these unsung heroes behind the scenes at how much he helps nurture these young guys. You know, Doolin, can Doolin take the next step? He wants to. He really wants to. He wants to be more than just a deep ball, go route, speed guy. Um, you know, he got some separation last week on a deep ball and he dropped it. Matt Ryan put it right in his lap and he dropped mm-hmm. it. Um, we didn't see Strawn out there. He was held out. You know, we'll see him when training camp starts, I believe. But, and, and I'll eat these words if I'm wrong, but I think the key with everything is Paris Campbell staying healthy. I think if he stays healthy, and I know what everybody's saying out there. I've yeah. written the story. You don't need to tell me. If he stays healthy, he can play. He's not just a piece in the offense. He's a big piece to the offense. They like him. Like They had him with the ones all of last week. He can line up in the slot, and he can do some things. And, you know, Frank made a good point a couple of weeks ago. Like, for all the knockers on the injury, like, Paris's injuries are not like soft tissue recurring things they're like freak injuries like he catches a 50 yard touchdown and the corner lands on his foot and breaks it like two years ago harrison smith of the vikings just pounds his helmet into his knee like unlucky yes um injury prone yes but they're freak incidents where i think the guy should maybe get the benefit of the doubt moving forward that if he stays on the field i really believe in his skill set i really do i'm going to keep beating the, the paris campbell horn on that Front now, if he gets hurt, then I'll eat my words and um, won't be the first time I'm wrong. But I think he's the key in this because if he stays healthy, then you've got a good slot option opposite uh, Michael Pittman, and and I think you know the rest of the guys. Somebody will probably step up to where it's serviceable. Now I still have some questions about the depth, but um, Alex Pierce changes things too. Alex Pierce, he he just looks good. What did you think you saw from him? And I know it's in shorts, but I feel like he's going to play with the starters this year. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on board. I I'm all on board with Alec Pierce. I mean, you know, he's got to do it under the lights. Don't get me wrong, but he plays with a confidence, man. He's got a little cockiness to him. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of like it, and I think it's fine. And look, uh, it wouldn't be he you can't be an elite receiver. Not that he's elite yet, but I'm just saying. But you you can't become an elite receiver and not be a little bit of a diva, right? I mean, you got to be a little bit of a you know trash talking diva because that's that's the the job description. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, no, I, I do think two things. Number one, uh, athletically, he is the full package. Like this guy's the real deal. Athletically, between his his measurables, the speed, the size, and just the way he moves. I mean, just yeah, just watch him. It's hard to it's hard to like quantify how he moves. It's not just like a forty time. It's like mm-hmm. he just has an athletic way about him in the middle of the field that's going to be really en- like enviable for a quarterback, right? Don't you think if it's a quarterback, you're just going to like the way he gets open and the way he runs his routes and gets out of his breaks? Yeah, I mean, I think – think about this. I mean, you're going to see a lot of those mesh plays that, that Frank Reich loves to run. And what do they do? And I, I don't know which combinations of receivers we'll see more often, but, but there's – theoretically, there's a situation where you have Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce converging in the middle of the field. <laughs> and you've got some middle linebacker in a zone trying to deal with this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it's a good situation for that guy, right? So I, I just think that, you know, with the the smarts of the quarterback, with the the really smart route combinations that Frank Reich and Marcus Brady are capable of, I think there's a lot of potential there uh, to get these guys the ball in great position, let him run after the catch. And you got two guys right there, actually three, including Paris Campbell. You got three guys who have just enormous run after catch potential, enormous 
run after catch. And and I think that is an area where there's so much hidden yardage the Colts can tap into this year. They haven't that, tapped. They didn't. They they missed so much of that last year. They have to. It, th- that is so much of the hidden yardage in this league today, in particular, because. For as much as quarterbacks are out there throwing for 5,000 yards, what they're not doing, for the most part, is throwing it way down the field. Okay, mm-hmm. how many deep balls does Tyreek Hill catch? <laughs> All right, what what is he doing? He's catching slants and crossers, and he's turning them into 30-yard gains. He will catch his, fair, his share of deep balls, but that's not how he makes his living. So that's today's game anyway. So I think they have guys who are built for that. They're, they're different than Tyreek, clearly, but I'm just saying – Physically, they have the ability to make plays in the open field. Uh, and then, by the way, Naheem Hines. I was going to say, like, we're missing one guy here. <laughs> we, we need to talk about. He does play like like Tyreek Hill, right? So, or can't has the ability at least. So, I man, this thing has the it has the potential to look good. But I'm with you. The depth is the problem. It's my concern too. I think if Paris Campbell stumbles again, then now you know you're bringing up a, a Doolin or someone like that and asking them, um, you know, Desmond Patman, maybe you're asking them now to play a bigger role. I'm not saying they it's can't. Time. It's time, right? Like, Patman, what are you doing on the roster, man? It's year three, right? I'm not saying they can't, and I'm not saying they right. shouldn't be. They haven't done it, but they haven't done it, right? I mean, Patman has. I, I couldn't believe it. this guy has two career catches. I I thought it was more for some reason. I looked this up the other day. I was like, yeah, whoa, I, it's stunning. It's crazy. Because the, the second one was that touchdown in in, in, in Arizona. Christmas Day in Arizona, right? That's right. That's right. So, anyway, so I would let just me say, make two more caveats on the offense. Yes, just, go ahead. just to just to let's not have this all optimistic look because it's football <laughs> and it never goes the way you think it will. But I will say this: it's they will June, miss two Zach, guys. They're winning the Super right, Bowl. Come on, right? No, um, I've covered I've covered this team too long to know better. Um, they will miss two guys this year more than you think right now. And I'm very confident in saying this. One is Jack Doyle, and it's not just the catch. It's mm-hmm. it's the blocky. Like, look at so many of Jonathan Taylor's big bust-out runs last year. 84 is in the backfield springing him. That's going to be big. Now, I'm not saying Mo can't block, but Jack was an indispensable part of this offense, and they will miss him. Here, here. The second guy is Zach Paschal. And I want to get your thoughts on this real quick because, look, everybody knows Paschal's production dove last year. And probably part of the reason was Carson Wentz. And part of the reason was the offense, the passing game just disintegrated at the end of the season. But Pascal was available and he was never hurt and he was productive and he had his drops and he, you know, the ceiling was what it was, right? But Pascal was there in a way that these other guys have not been there. Campbell, Doolin, Strong, right? So you felt better about Pascal, both as a blocker, as a catcher. And as a guy who's just there every Sunday, and I think they're going to miss that to some degree. Now, someone else can step in. I think Campbell has a much higher ceiling. Strawn does. Maybe Doolin, maybe Patman. I don't know. They all have these measurables that that Doolin or that Pascal does not have. But he was out there and he was dependable. And I think that's something. There's something to be said for that. And I think the coaches liked Zach Pascal for that reason. And he would get in there and he would get messy in the run game as well. And they appreciated that as well. So. Don't underestimate the losses of Doyle and Pascal. Now, we'll see how the receiver room steps up. We'll see how the tight ends look, right? Granson is a guy that, I don't know, I didn't see much from him last week. I saw some drops, but um, yeah, that's a guy. He's got to show me something. He's got a lot to prove. Yeah, this is going to be a big camp for him because if you look at those two tight ends behind him, they are enormous human beings. We're talking Dio size, and they're coming. Like, they're coming. Maybe not this year, but they're coming for his job. And if he doesn't prove it, that's going to be something to watch down the line. So Doyle and Pascal to me are guys that I haven't forgotten about. They did a lot of the stuff you didn't see on the stat sheet, but some other guys need to step up and that's the gamble the Colts are taking. I think you're right. I will, I will particularly emphasize tight end. I I think that is another position. I said, I had doubts about wide receiver. It's not that I have doubts about tight end. It's just that I, I, I don't know if what they have is is going to be enough. It's, it's not that they... Let me rephrase that. They have lots of bodies. They have a lot of capable players there, but I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't. I, I got to see what these guys are capable of. Um, are, are these the guys to get it done, is what I'm saying. I mean, two of them are rookies, so we'll see. And then one is practically a rookie in Granson, who you just mentioned. So you're really young there. Uh, Moali Cox is going to have a different role. It, it's going to be the Jack Doyle role. So... He's going to have some heavy lifting. He's done it before 
when Jack has been hurt and, and done it well. So I think he can do it, but it's a different role and he's going to, it's going to be more permanent. The other thing with Granson is he's got to be, they want him to take on an Eric Ebron like role. He's the only guy in that room who is truly, truly, truly a receiving tight end. And at least, you know, among the guys who are going to play, he, he's the guy that has to really emerge in that role and be that really flexible tight end. Otherwise, they're going a little bit with a square peg and a round hole with some of the other guys who maybe aren't cut out for the same role. They need him to elevate his game and really take that role and run with it. It's there for him. It's all he's the guy. It's he right has there. to be the guy. Yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, all right. Let's not neglect the defense. Um, I want to point out a, a great piece uh, from uh, Deontay Lee, who is a new addition to our staff. Uh, a really good writer when it comes to the X's and O's of football. And he has a piece on The Athletic. Uh, you can go to the Colts tab and, and you'll see it listed under there. He's got a piece about defenses this year who have boomer bust potential. Among the teams he lists is the Colts. Why? His, his rationale is basically Gus Bradley has to have a big-time pass rush for this single safety scheme to really work. He, he thinks it's going to work, but they got to hit on the pass rush. That's going to be huge for them. Uh, so anyway, I encourage you to read it. I think it'll give you some really good insight into the, what the Colts are trying to do on defense. It, it actually taught me a little bit as well. So that leads me to this point is, look, I mean, is this the year they finally get some consistent pass rush? You, Zach, you were, we were just talking about the elite quarterbacks in the AFC. Well, Yannick Ngakwe, come on down, okay? Go get Patrick Mahomes, right? Go get Justin Herbert. Uh, this is going to be, I think, a huge part of their success or lack thereof this year. They got to go get the quarterback. If they do that, I think this defense is built for success. Uh, but they have to do it. It is absolutely non-negotiable with the with the the schedule they have this year. The quarterbacks who are on it, they have to get to the quarterback. If they do that, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, the problem is we have no idea because OTAs doesn't tell you anything about that. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, are you optimistic about that part? Let me read you what Yannick Ngakwe tweeted last week. We didn't see him much in the field last week. I'm not concerned. He said, let's bring pass rush back to Indy. Hmm. So He's talking about about some throwbacks there is what he's talking about. Right. He's talking about two guys, Mathis and Freeney. Everybody listening knows what they did. And as much as we – this is an important point. As much as we've talked about Carson Wentz and the offensive falling apart, especially the passing game falling apart late last year – I don't want to say we've let the defense off the hook, but the defense was an issue last year. And it was masked by Darius Leonard's ability to turn the football over on one ankle. And we can get into Darius's injury update in a second, but so many times the defense failed to live up to the expectations. uh, Baltimore, week five, right? They just needed one stop in the second half. And Lamar Jackson scored every time he touched the football and then finished it off with a two-point conversion. They needed to get a stop against the Raiders in week 17. They don't. Darius misses the sack. Kenny Moore touches Hunter Renfro's cleat. The Raiders win. I don't even need to talk about Jacksonville. They gave Trevor Lawrence the best day of his career in the NFL by far. Um, And I'm probably missing a couple others, right, where the defense just did not finish the game. And and we've overlooked that because Carson Wentz was a story, and it was a bigger, more important story. But – All of it goes back to pass rush. All of it goes back to pass rush. They just did not have it last year. Does Dio take a step? Does Quiddy Pay take a step? You'd think so. I think they get better. But everything comes down to Ngakwe, and they're paying him $10 million a year to come in and and get 10 sacks or 12 sacks or 13 sacks. And this scheme is even more reliant on the pass rush. So it's going to be boom or bust. I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, But like you said, Burrow, Herbert, Russell Wilson. I can go down the list of all these quarterbacks they're going to see. Mahomes in week three. They're going to have to get to the quarterback much better and much more frequently than they did last year. And I know Bradley knows this and he's talked a lot about this. It's not just sacks. It's affecting the quarterback in different ways. But I'm not sold on the defense until I see the pass rush take a step forward. And I'm not going to see that in in camp because it's not going to be real football. So that's going to be a question they can't answer until the games start to count. So one thing that's also going to be different in I think you know Deontay Lee referenced this as well. This this is going to be an interesting shift if you've watched the defense under Matt Eberflus for the last four years. One of the things, even though they were 
sort of a a one gap defense, meaning you know you you're not sort of playing head up on the offensive lineman. You're attacking the gap and getting up the field as a defensive lineman. However, the one caveat is they really, really, really emphasize stopping the run in that scheme. It's the reason a guy like Al Quadi Muhammad played so much, for example, which was like right. to the bewilderment of everyone. Like, he didn't so make that, any plays on the quarterback, right? <laughs> exactly, right. So everyone was bewildered by that. Like, why? Well, that's why. Now, it's not to say that Gus Bradley doesn't care about stopping the run, but there's no question the emphasis for him is getting to the quarterback. Now, he's got to have the horses to do it, right? That's a big part of it. That's always part of it. Uh, I think they do. And they're really going to emphasize Ngakwe is, is the featured pass rusher. I think with the role that Quiddy Pay is going to play, he has a chance to really excel this year. Uh, in that same article, I think one of the things, or one of the great points is that Quiddy Pay can maybe be their Max Crosby, you know, as as Gus Bradley had That's in, a good point. in Las Vegas. Doesn't mean he's going to have, you know, a million sacks. What it means is he's playing the same position and it's different than the position he played last year. Last year, he was kind of out of necessity, the featured pass rusher, but he really isn't that type of guy. What he is is a really physical, um, motor-driven pass rusher who is going to get some some pass rush just based on the fact that they're going to have to shift protection to two other guys, DeForest Buckner and Yannick Ngakwe. So he should really get some pretty favorable matchups and I think should take advantage of that. So I think they're going to get the pass rush, or at least they're they're set up to get the pass rush. Now, you know, guys have to take the next step. And then they love Dio Adengbo. You know that. We've talked a lot about him. You didn't see it last year because, you know, look, he was just coming off that injury. If he takes another step and he's healthy, he's been out there every day. Uh, if he takes another step, then they could really have something. So we'll see. They've invested a lot up front. It's time for it to come through. There's just no other there's no other way about it. They have to come through. If they don't, this is going to be a disappointment, I think, on defense. Uh, I want Zach to talk about a couple things on defense. Uh, first, let's just clear up this Darius Leonard business. Um, I think you've got some good perspective on this. I'm sick of talking about Darius Leonard's ankle. But <laughs> he last week had back surgery, which was certainly a surprise to us. And we couldn't figure out what relationship there was between this and his lower body issues. But you, I think, have some good explanation on this. Uh, what did you learn? Yeah, I was confused as anybody. And and when you hear ankle and when you hear calf, my mind goes to one place. And we don't need to talk about that. But <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a good place. But literally, that's exactly what we heard. I it's the ankle, it's the calf, and then there's a back surgery. What the heck? So here's what Next I learned. Next thing you're going to tell me, he's going to the Netherlands for treatment. Okay. We have some scars. I'll just yes. I'll just put it that way. Um, so the calf wasn't firing last year. The, the the injuries were related. The ankle injury that he had for almost two years now. He had surgery on it last June, I believe. Um, the calf wasn't firing, so the injuries were related, and they believe there's a nerve in his back that was related to the calf injury. So it was not just a bum ankle he was playing on. But while he does all his rehab. It's not getting better because of that nerve in his back. So this is the Colts' belief. There's almost like a sense of relief, like, oh, we figured it out. We haven't been able to figure it out. And, oh, we finally figured out that the nerve in his back is related to the calf, which is related to the ankle, if you follow. Um, so they had the back surgery last week, and it went really well, according to Darius Leonard and the Colts. And if there's ever a time in the NFL when they say the surgery didn't go well, it'll be a first <laughs> But, um, you know, the thing that stuck out to me was was the Colts actually think that he could be back by the start of training camp, which was a little bit different than what we heard last week. Frank Reich did not have any details and did not have a, a lot of elaboration on what exactly happened. But basically, the ankle um, was related to the calf. They couldn't figure out why the calf was not firing last year. And they figured it out that it was related to a nerve in his back. They got the back fixed. That, that will help the calf, which in turn will help the ankle. We'll see, right? This is all just talk in June, but the team's belief is he could be back at or near the start of training camp, which would be a huge boost for a team that's really entering the season with a huge question mark. Um, he's one of their top two or three players, if not the best one, not named Jonathan Taylor, and they need him. There's no other way around it. So he doesn't need to play in the preseason, but him getting back healthy with two ankles changes everything for this defense. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I, I was going to say the... 
the the thing from a if you want to take this from a half full perspective, the the one thing I think this does perhaps clear up is why we were told last summer, right, that he's having this surgery, he's going to be fine, and then he wasn't fine, right? He played with this thing the whole year, and and, and there was even a lot of sentiment from fans like, well, I mean, why'd this guy wait till June to get surgery? You know, now he's sitting here playing all season hurt, and, and I have the same question. I think it's a very legitimate question, but I think maybe in hindsight, maybe this was part of the issue all along. I mean, we may never know, unless Darius like clears all this up for us, but but let's it's plausible this was part of the issue all along and maybe that's why it wasn't getting better in which case this is good news but uh, let, let's hope that's the case because i mean i just never seen a guy's injury linger like that and just never get any better i mean it was amazing that he had the impact that he did so Darius Leonard at full speed is a really intimidating thought because he we, was we didn't see that. that last year. Yeah. I mean, we just didn't see it. I mean, you, you, I remember you telling me in the press box, like, look at, look at him running. Like when he would make an interception, you could just tell, like he was running 40% of what he used to. So yeah. we'll see. He'll have to do it in August in training camp. And then when the season starts, but if they figured it out, that's a huge relief for this franchise. Cause he's the hundred million dollar linebacker. Yep. Agreed. Now the other I think storyline on defense that we have to address is Kari Willis. And he, on Wednesday of this week, made a really bold decision to retire from the NFL. He is uh, going to pursue uh, a role in the ministry full-time. I will tell you, I was surprised by it. But on the other hand, I don't think you can be anything but happy for him to find a purpose in life, right? He's like 25 years old or something, and, and, and he's found his purpose. And just so happens it wasn't football, and that's okay. And, you know, one of the things that I think people in the organization, their reaction to this was just that. It's like, you know, we want them to find their purpose in life. And I think this organization, they're not the only one, but I think this organization has good perspective on that. It's still a business, and it's cutthroat, and 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 there's millions of dollars at stake. I get all that, and that's always going to be true. But I at least, I, I think he had... He he felt, uh, I think, encouraged to do the right thing by himself or for himself um, in this particular situation, in part because of the organization that he played for. So um, did you have any thoughts on that? I mean, certainly stunning, but just don't see that every day. Yeah, I think I think two conversations with Kari Willis. One is is not the same field they're going into, but a little bit like Pat McAfee a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Why would he retire? You know, well. It's it's because he felt like this is what he should be doing with his life, and look at what Pat has done. It's it's <laughs> remarkable, and this is a very very different realm. But and, and you know Kari, and, and and like when he was a rookie, it seemed like he was a ten year vet. Just yes. the way he spoke and the way he thought, and he was very, very very mature. Um, just a different guy, and I think you saw that from all the responses from his teammates yesterday. Like they respect the hell out of this guy, and the Colts stance is if you feel like this is your life's work. Um, then we're happy for you. Um, and I think the Colts, if you shift gears to the second part of the conversation, the football part, mm-hmm. the Colts are not panicking because they addressed safety in a huge way this spring. Now, whether they knew Kari was going to walk away or not, I don't know, but I kind of got the hint that they did from the people they that must I have talked had a to. Sense. Yeah. I yeah, think they had and, a sense. And yeah. They they traded up very boldly to draft Nick Cross, which is the same thing they did. With Kari Willis a couple of years ago, they don't often trade up to get someone. They did with Jonathan Taylor and Kari Willis and Nick Cross. They love Nick Cross. They think he can play this year. They signed a couple of vets, Armani Watts and Ronnie McLeod. And, and oh, by the way, Julian Blackman's like back, like which is crazy because <laughs> don't take that for granted. That dude heals like Wolverine. And he was running around and jumping and making plays last week at minicamp. And I'm like, you just tore your Achilles like three days ago. It wasn't three days ago, but it was last November. And, and he just heals at a remarkable rate. So on a football side, they're actually pretty well equipped to handle a June retirement of a starter. But at the same time, Kari Willis was a good player and he was a good starter and they're going to miss him in stretches. But um, from a personal standpoint, I wrote a big story on him a couple years ago. An amazing young man, awesome guy, happy for him. And he will have a huge impact in whatever uh, lives he touches um, going into the field he is. Yeah, no, I, I can't can't be more thrilled for Kari Willis. And I, I think you're right. I think when... When I met Kari from day one, you could tell like this—he was never a kid. That guy handled himself like a man, 
and had a, a maturity well beyond his years from day one. So yeah, I mean, just that it makes sense. It's surprising, but it also makes sense. So I think they're going to be fine. They love them some Nick Cross. Now I haven't seen it yet. You know, he's still learning the scheme and all that, but uh, two things on Nick Cross. This guy is an absolute film junkie. I'm told he would be like the last guy. I know we always say this, right? We always say, but literally the last guy out of the facility in at Maryland, the cleaning crew would, they told the Colts scouts actually when they came to visit, because they talked to everybody. They talked to like the custodian, like, hey, do you know Nick Cross? I'm like, oh, if you mean that kid who's always in here late at night and we have to kick him out? Yeah, that guy? Yeah. Oh, he's awesome. <laughs> that, that's Nick Cross. So he Four asked three. for, what's that? Four three speed. Yes. That well, that's is the other dangerous thing. for a safety. Right. So he's asking for a playbook on draft night and they're like, kid, like go home, like relax. Anyway. And then there's the four, three speed, as Zach said, uh, we saw, we had that film session with Chris Ballard after the draft, as we always do. And it's obvious on tape. Like you can see the speed, the speed is, it just jumps off the, the, the screen at you. You, you can't help, but see it. He, he has a nose for the ball as well. So I think they're going to have a player there. They also have two really, uh, really capable veterans in Armani Watts and and Rodney McLeod. So their sa- their safety position is absolutely fine. I think it's actually one of their stronger positions on the on the team, frankly. They're going to be fine. So we'll see. Get a little pass rush and who knows where this goes. So that's what we got. Um that's the Colton in a nutshell of 40 something minute nutshell uh as of June. So we'll see what happens. Maybe none of this is still true in September. But <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part, right? right? And then you'll have wasted your time, guys. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, that's the deal. I think that uh, I think it's going to be a, a fun training camp. I'm looking forward to it. And I, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team uh, in you know the months and weeks to come. And uh, you know, they got a shot. Was, who knows? We'll see. Um, it's amazing where they are now compared with where they were. On January 9th. Which is the overarching takeaway of this entire offseason. Uh, I'll leave you with this. Zach, you have a really interesting project you're working on. And then you won't, you won't let the cat out of the bag now. But um, just stay tuned for that. Zach has probably bitten off more than he bargained for here. <laughs> taking <laughs> this whole offseason. Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be off right now. Not not happening. But, yeah. uh, but it's going to be July working. 11th. July 11th is, ah. is when the project will come out. And it is it has been the last four or five months of my life. So yeah. uh, working on finishing up all the pieces as we, as we speak. Yeah. I mean, I've played a very, very small role in it. And I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it quite a bit. So. Anyway, that's it for now. Stay tuned uh, to The Athletic. Uh, we've got some coverage of the Colts you know, continuing. I think uh, definitely check out uh, Bob Kravitz's most recent story on Frank Reich and DeForest Buckner and their really unique relationship. I think it tells you a lot about the inner workings of this team and it, it's some of what we see every day being around this club. So definitely check that out. I must read there. All right, that's it. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Keeper. We appreciate you listening, and this is 1% Better.